Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Tom Baker, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Well, thank you, Paul. You know, you can't always be in the real center of the universe, Ashland, so... We're in beautiful downtown Ditchley, Virginia, and that's as close as we'll get today. Uh, We are actually in the center of the universe right now. This podcast, wherever it goes, becomes the center of the the de facto center of the universe. Well, that makes sense since you're from Ashland. It's it's not a bad deal. Yeah. Well, I grew up next to the guy who came up with that slogan, actually. Well, there we go. Yeah. So, should we mention how you and I know each other? Why, sure. I think you should tell that. Well, I was the alumni director at St. Christopher's School and used to have the great pleasure of mingling with the students and pick up basketball games and things like that. And you were one of those dudes. I love basketball. Absolutely adored playing it growing up. And you guys actually had some decent teams. You were, you were a little more competitive than we were when I was donning number 23 for the Saints. Were you guys not good back in the day? We were good, but when our your starting center is about 6'2", you know, oh, no, excuse me. We did have a guy, Stuart Jones, who is from Ashland, Virginia. Really? And uh, we, his nickname was Bones because he, he was pretty darn skinny. And so he didn't play a whole lot uh, until our senior year. And um, he had he had filled out and um, and he could shoot the rock. His, his, his and he's older, from Ashland. He's from Ashland. His older brother, Scott, the family owns Sally Bell's Kitchen. Okay. And his older brother, Scott, was my shooting guard my sophomore year. Um, and I think it was my first game. I think he was five for 20. And I said, look, I'm not passing you the ball anymore. You know, you, you got, I got to get more assists for my work. <laughs> you got to at least go 10 yeah. for 20. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you played point guard. Yeah, I played point guard. I was, uh, I was somewhat limited offensively but you didn't want me guarding you mm. so good with assists good dribbler you had to be to play point guard mm, decent good enough i uh i basically started as a sophomore and then we had a fellow my um junior year transfer in a guy named uh, mike strong mm. whose older brother scott was an english teacher at st christopher's and mike transferred in from george with and he was phenomenal mm. And so I came off the bench, and then my senior year, uh, David Hawkins, who was a year behind me, um, ended up starting at point guard. And I would get really uptight if I started a game. And so what they realized was, you know, I could play point or I could play two. And I could also, I was a pretty effective defender. And frankly, if they kept me on the bench for a while, and then I could kind of figure things out and see what we needed. I think I think I've led the team in minutes my my senior year, and you know who cared. Um, you got plenty of playing time though. That was plenty like, of playing time, and you know my motto was uh, to paraphrase Nathan Hale: "My only regret is that I have but five fouls to give for my team." <laughs> so you were pretty physical for a guard. Well, you you got to know how to foul somebody. Well, yeah, if you're going to foul them and be called for it, it needs to be worth it's, it. Yeah. You got to get your money's worth. Yeah, absolutely. I got my money's worth. And it was pretty physical back then, I imagine. Yeah, because we're talking about what early mid seventies. Yeah, I graduated in seventy five. And the other thing with me was I had grown up in the fan district, and um, that was physical. Um, 
you know, we, we, we played basketball. My, my father, who was the rector at St. James's Church, put up a, um, a basketball goal in the church parking lot. And that attracted a lot of Maggie Walker students, um, attracted some of the, uh, shall I say, white working class guys from, uh, from Oregon Hill. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we, you know, we would go up to Fox School. There was a playground there. So um, there weren't a whole lot of guys frankly that I ran across in the prep league that I couldn't handle. Oh, if you could play city street ball, you could play yeah, anything. Notable yeah. exception, um, Casey hears this, would be Hank Harris at Norfolk Academy who chewed me up and spit me out more times than I can count starting in ninth grade on JV ball when I posted him and went out for my little playground shimmy shake move and laid up air. He was going the other direction, and I remember thinking, this guy's really good. We better become friends, and not only did we become great friends, because when I was, a, I was a basketball team manager at Virginia, Hank was the, uh, he was the captain of the tennis team. Mm. He was all prepping for sports. Wow. And uh, we're still friends. <laughs> I mean, that's a special kind of quickness. He was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I wish I was half as quick as somebody like that. He was, he, he was, he was amazing. So... All right, well, let's back all the way up. Yeah. I, I want to ask you both where you are, were born and where do you consider yourself from? Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, my father was an Episcopal priest, and uh, I was actually born when he was the Episcopal chaplain at the University of Florida. So I was born at the now-closed Alachua County General Hospital directly across the, front, the street from the front gates of the University oh, of Florida. Wow. Um, and so I've always said I'm a Gator born, I'm a Wahoo bred. Um, Dad had gone to the University of Virginia. And um, so anyway, we, we moved to Richmond when I was three months old, maybe, and uh, moved in at 1218 West Franklin Street, um, directly across the street almost from St. James's, uh, right there at Stewart Circle. Mm. And um, I wouldn't trade growing up there for for anything on the planet it was idyllic so you are from richmond virginia i am from richmond virginia yeah and um well, we now live in ditchley outside of kilmarnock but they will they'll bury me out of st james's um, dad was a rector there for 21 years you know um, i had a buddy a friend uh moved away a couple of my friends moved away from west avenue where all the all the other kids lived when i was eight years old and then I was kind of bereft, and Dad came home one day and said, "Well, there's a there's a new family that's moved in the 1600 block of uh, Monument Avenue. The Jones family. They have a they have a boy about your age named Herbie. Well, Herbie Jones uh, ended up as the best man in my wedding, mm. and um, is now an Episcopal priest, and actually performed my daughter's wedding at St. James's. So that's really cool. Got some good roots in the fan district. Oh man, that's great. Yeah." That's amazing. Uh, all right, so basketball was big growing up. What what else was big? What else did you get into as a as a kid? Well, uh, you know, might not go to jail for uh, you know we, uh, you know, just the usual stuff. You you um, you know, I rode my bike a lot, um, and you know, just just played on West Avenue. West Avenue is a three block street that runs in Richmond. Uh, it's between Park Avenue. And Franklin Street 
and the eastern boundary is Harrison Street and the western boundary is Lombardy. Mm-hmm. And they call it Stork Alley. They've called it Stork Alley for well over, I think, 100 years because that's where families come and they have their children. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are still a lot of children that play on that street because it's safe. It's an enclave. And, um, you know, and then when the kids get older, they generally, you know, they move out to the West End and um, kind of move away, which is, again, what this kind of, you know, some of my early childhood friends had done. And there was a pharmacy uh, there where there's a restaurant now called Cuba Cuba. Mm. Uh, Stuart Circle Pharmacy was was there. Um, they called that the hub because it was the hub of the neighborhood. Uh, there was a park right across the street. Some of my earliest memories are of playing in that park with Viola Taylor, who was the black lady who helped raise me and kind of was my de facto grandmother until she died in 96. Mm. Uh, she was a huge part of my life. Um, so just amazing place to grow up. Yes. It, I mean, you use the term idyllic. It sounds yeah, absolutely idyllic. Well, the, you know, the early, the early to mid sixties, um, you know, I started at St. Christopher's in the fall of 1962, um, kindergarten. Um, I can actually remember going to visit the place with my mother. Oh, before you went there as a yeah. kindergartner. Yeah. Wow. And um, Mrs. Jacobs, who ended up being my kindergarten teacher, I can still remember just how sweet and wonderful she was. The same Jacobs, did she have a son named Chris? No. Different family. No, different family. Um, interestingly, her husband, Petey Jacobs, was the basketball coach at St. Christopher's for years and mm. years and years. And then when he, um, Mac Pitt, the collegiate school was in the next block on Monument Avenue when mm. I was a little boy. It was an all-girls school. And then when I was three or four, like 60 or 61, it moved out to where, to it, where is it is now, yeah. Moreland Road. And Mac Pitt and Petey Jacobs were really good friends. And Petey went from St. Christopher's to collegiate uh, to become the basketball coach, which was, uh, you know, it's a big deal back then. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, started at... You know, we, we, we had a carpool. Uh, you know, I can remember riding with with uh, the Mitchells, the Moons, um, the Macons. They were all these, you know, families from the neighborhood, and the mothers would drive us out. And there was, there was one mom, Bart Davies' mother, was the smartest one because she would give us sugar daddy, these sticky candy things on a you know, like a popsicle, except it was just caramel, yeah. hard caramel. And you put that sugar daddy in your mouth and it's, you know, the car would just get completely <laughs> quiet. She didn't have to listen to these ranting, raving, you know, seven year old idiots. Uh, I, I, I just, I thought about that years later. What a genius she was. <laughs> I wish I had done that with my kids. Yeah. No kidding. Although sometimes it's fun to listen to them talk cause you find out what's going on. I can tolerate that for maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready for a sugar daddy. Right. (laughs) All right. So, uh, great memories from uh, all the way through K through 12, St. Christopher's? Actually, no. Um, You know, it's interesting. Started out really, really well. Um, Like I said, the first couple of years uh, were good. Kindergarten, first grade, second grade. Uh, You know, I was... I will say this, I, my mother saved uh, my report card to St. Christopher's and even as early as first grade, I think as they called it back then, I got a D in deportment, which meant I was a misbehaving little rascal. Uh, 
Um, as you can tell from listening to me talk, I like to talk, <laughs> talk too much. And um, as I told the headmaster, uh, George McVeigh, many, many years later, I said, I was always a, a habitual misdemeanor offender. I was always in trouble, but never once in 13 years did I get suspended. Mm. But in about third grade, um, I had a teacher that told me I'd never be any good in math. And I didn't like math. And so I took that to heart. Mm. Um, and I was always writing demerit sentences. And, you know, there were some struggles. Um, I, um, I was not a good math student. Um, and in seventh grade, I think I flunked Spanish and algebra and had to go to summer school at Collegiate. Mm. And if you can think of anything worse for a St. Christopher's boy. There's nothing worse. In seventh grade than spending a summer at Collegiate uh, with Collegiate people. Um, at that point in your life, you know, before they become your best friends of life, right. you know, that's, that's the rival time. So, uh, that, that, uh, that was, that was tough, but the, you know, I was always a good, a good English student and I was a good history student. And, you know, so those things would kind of, they, they, they kind of kept me in the school. And then when I was a sophomore, I flunked chemistry and there was a man there named John Beckwith who taught chemistry, Dr. Beckwith. And he was an old, really, really small, slender man. And, uh, I'll never forget one day I had messed up in an experiment and he said, Tommy, see me after class. I said, yes, sir. It was very kind. And, um, I went and saw him after class and, uh, he showed me how to do the experiment. And then he touched me on the shoulder and he looked at me and he said, Tommy, you can do this stuff. You're a smart boy. And it was that instant. These things happen to you sometimes in life. And that was the moment that gave me some confidence. You just needed an adult to take a deep breath and, and say yeah, something. Yeah, and they, believe me, I mean, there, there are always wonderful teachers there. You know, Dick Kemper um, was a young teacher in the sixth grade. Um, you know, we're still friends. But it, it, it was just that moment um, that it really hit home. And the next year he retired, my junior year. Mm. And I don't think I've ever heard of this happening um, before or since. But, you know, in the St. Christopher's Chapel, they had these curtains. And all the students on their own took up, you know, their spare change that we would go get Cokes with or, or nabs, you know, when Mr. Boney, the teacher ran the, yeah. ran the snack bar and we bought him a Grumman canoe. Wow. The students bought him a Grumman canoe and they paraded that thing out, presented it to him. And I'll never forget it. That's it was awesome. just, it was amazing. And, uh, and the, the, our, his daughter Cam and I are still friends and he lived to be 96 years old. The canoe is still in the Beckwith family. Oh, that's great. That's and a that great was story. that was 1974. So, long answer to the question, but there there were some ups and downs. But it was Beckwith doing that, and then I made the varsity basketball team as a sophomore. And so finally, there was something that I was better at than anybody else, um, and it was something that meant a lot to me. Um, and and you enjoyed doing it. Too. I enjoyed doing it, and girls paid attention. <laughs> Girls do like us play basketball. <laughs> well, the shorts were a lot shorter then. <laughs> they so, were very short yeah. back then. And I had some hops. I could jump. That was one of the things I got from playing on the <laughs> playground. And 
um, you know, and I, I, I still tease, you know, some of the, some of my, my, my black pals about, it. you know, there was nothing like blocking a brother's shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know what that's like. <laughs> uh, I, I did it, did it quite a few times. It was fun. So. All right. So struggled a bit in school and then it sounds like you corrected at some point. Your I, well, career. that's what happened. Uh, you know, I, I got confidence. I came back. I took chemistry from Beckwith as a junior. I got an A. Um, and two years later, I was in the University of Virginia. Yeah, which my my kids will remind me, it's incredibly hard to get into yeah. these days. It, it's, it wasn't that hard back then, but I will say I got in and some other people that you might have expected to get in didn't, but I had really, really, I'd, I'd worked really hard. Um, and I got challenged. I was told by Bob Herzog, and he and I joked about this later when I worked at the school as the alumni director. He asked me where I thought I wanted to go to school. And I said, well, maybe Washington and Lee or UVA or, you know, someplace where I can major in English. And he said, well, you have the potential to do that, but you're running out of time. And based on your performance so far, you might want to think about NC State or Virginia Tech. And I asked him what when year, I was... What year was this? This was 1973 or four. So you were a junior. I was a junior. Because it, it, that that's cranked up later back then. Right, right, right. And uh, we were sitting at the lunch, the faculty table when I was the alumni director one day, and I looked over and I said, Bob, let me ask you a question. I said, do you remember the conversation you had with me about schools and all that stuff? And he said, oh, yeah. And I, you know. I said, you were just kind of lighting a fire under my ass, weren't you? He said, oh, absolutely. I knew it would infuriate you to think that you might end up at Virginia Tech or NC State. And... They're great schools. Oh, absolutely. Don't get me wrong, but you know how your mindset is at that point, and it worked. It was genius. I took the challenge. He probably did that to hundreds of kids. Oh, I'm, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the way he operated, as you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I was a big fan of hers. Like, I think he retired around the time I graduated. Yeah. He might have stuck one another year or two after yeah. that. But, yeah, God, great, great guy. I always enjoyed seeing him. And, and in fact, that my you're a couple years older than me, but my tender age, 54, I always remember the people that made me feel better after I left their presence than mm-hmm. I than I did uh, coming in, and I try to avoid the people that make me feel a little worse right. as I'm leaving the conversation. Well, another fun story about Herzog. So again, you know, growing up in the fan district, and you know, let's just say I was I was very much one of the more liberal guys in my class, and I was the youngest of four. My brother had been in Haight-Ashbury, so, you know, and I lived in the fan district, and there were a lot of hippies in the fan district in the 60s, so I had, I had pretty long hair, and so I made that varsity basketball team as a sophomore, and we're playing collegiate on Tuesday. Herzog gets up at chapel service. Tommy Baker, please see me sometime today, so I go down to Mr. Herzog's office. He was the athletic director at that point. And he says, I understand you might start the game against Collegiate tomorrow night. And I said, well, I said, that's Coach Koenig's decision, but that, 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 if it happens, it'll be wonderful. And I was already playing a lot either way. He said, well, if you get your hair cut before tomorrow afternoon, it'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> and I was pretty rebellious, but I just went to the William Byrd Barbershop that afternoon and got my hair cut after school, and that was that. Played basketball. I didn't. I wasn't going to fight that. I fought a lot of battles at St. Christopher's, but that was not one I was going to fight. Hair's important at that age, but not as important as playing Play. basketball. Right. Yeah. Against collegiate. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you Koenig was uh, my coach too. So yeah. we, we got to uh, play under him, and I I enjoyed Carl Koenig. He was a sweet man. Yeah, yeah, he, he was a very good good dude. Absolutely. All right, so UVA from St. Christopher's, there were I don't know how many kids did you graduate St. Christopher's with? So here's the deal. We graduated 66 in my class. Okay. 22 of us. One third. One third matriculated in Charlottesville. 17 of us ended up in Hancock dorm, which was at that point the only all-male dorm left at the university. And I lived in 309 Hancock with Randy Wright, one of my St. Christopher's buddies. And we chose that room because Madison Macon and Chip Molster from St. Christopher's had been in that room the year before. And the year before that had been Granville Valentine and Herbert Fitzgerald. Okay. So it, you could do that. You could say, I want to live in this room. And they'd say, okay. Um, but I had a little incident my first year, very late one Thursday night. And um, nothing violent, you know, to another person, but... I did a little damage to Metcalf dorm, which was our rival dorm. And the next day I got a call from the Dean Canterbury's office and I went in to see Dean Canterbury and he said, well, tell me what happened. And I said, well, I had a lot to drink and one thing led to another and I kind of broke this window or whatever. <laughs> that's the kind version. And, um, he said, that's it. And then I said, excuse me. He said, that's it. And I, I was thinking to myself, what's he going to do? Throw me out of school? That's what it sounded like. Yeah. And I, he says, that's it. He says, that dorm is going co-ed. <laughs> he said, here's what happens. He says, all you guys from St. Christopher's and all these other schools, you come to Virginia, you know, and you got girlfriends or whatever. And then you get in that damn dorm. And you start drinking too much and start partying too much. You break up with your girlfriends and then you get horny and you get violent and start breaking things. And I'm just not going to put up with it anymore. And two years later, the dorm was co-ed. So. The drinking age back then was 18. Yeah, the drinking age was 18 yeah. for three, two beer. But it was not for hard liquor and all that uh, stuff. Gotcha. Not that that made a hill of beans different. Wasn't going to stop. Not that. then. Yeah. Not then. They... they why was Metcalf your rival dorm? Because it was next door. Okay. And we, it's just because. Because down the hill, it was Hancock and Bonnie Castle. Right. But right. Bonnie Castle was all female. Ah. Uh, so yeah, they, they were certainly not our rivals. Right, right. I got you. Yeah. Yeah, by the time I got there, they were all co-ed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Katie Couric and some of her gal pals were at Bonnie Castle. It was a fun world back then. Katie actually dated a fraternity brother of mine. She was she was a lot of fun. She graduated your year? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of fun in a good way. I mean, just fun person to be around. One of the top five most famous people to go to Virginia, I would I would think. I would guess, you know, it's interesting when you're around people like that. It's kinda of like Ralph Sampson. When you when you somebody's a friend of yours, you don't think of them that way. Yeah, yeah. You know. And people get all, you know, angry with Katie about her politics or whatever look she's a journalist she does her job she's done it well yeah she was a real journalist yes she was a real journalist. and not not a lot of what's happening these days <laughs> no kidding yeah uh all right so you love basketball going into college you you've become a, a, a good student i assume the good student thing continued through virginia but you ended up <laughs> being involved with basketball well well there were some laughing. bumps in the road there too uh i think there are always are except for oh yeah those oh, yeah. kids that oh, yeah. only 
focus on academics. So, interesting stuff. So, I, I, I went to Virginia first year, um, you know, joined a fraternity, joined the Kappa Sigma House, played basketball in the Dell, uh, you know, like everybody did. And um, I, because of the education I got at St. Christopher's, and, and because I barely didn't place out of some AP things, um, I didn't have to work real hard and pull the three, four. Mm. Uh, and then the other interesting thing that happened was I was writing for the declaration, one of the student newspapers, I was writing sports for them. And, uh, I wanted to do a feature on a guy named Barry Parkhill who was playing the American basketball association. And they said, no, you know, we had won the ACC tournament and I had, I had gone first time ever, ever, ever. And I had gone. It was just amazing. We, we, we beat three ranked teams in three games. That was, Walker so, was on that team. Yeah, Wally was the MVP. Mark Ivaroni, a bunch of guys. Bobby Stokes, who was my class, was first year. Steve Castle on his fault. So, um, they said, why don't you interview Wally Walker? And I said, okay. And that meant I had to interview Wally in person because he was still in school and he lived on the lawn. And frankly, I was a little bit intimidated. He lived in one because he was an exceptional basketball player. And, and an exceptional student. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, called Wally Walker up and got the interview. And I interviewed him, you know, spring morning, probably early May. You know, he's getting ready to go off. And he ended up being a first-round draft choice in the NBA. And um, I pulled up. And I'd gone out to an SAE party the night before. And I pulled up to meet this guy. And basically, we were both hungover. <laughs> and Wally was the nicest guy on the planet. He couldn't have been more accommodating, more fun, more humble. And right at the end of the interview, they talk about those moments in your life that where things change. I said to Wally, we were wrapping up. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, I, you know, I played basketball in high school and I saw an ad in the Cavalier Daily for a basketball manager. You know, are, are, the, are the managers kind of like part of the team? Do the players kind of treat them like crap, you know? And he said, oh, no. He said, the, the managers are great. Frank Burkhead, you know, is one of my best friends as a manager just graduating with me this year. And he said, they'd love to have you as a manager because you played and they can use you in drills and right. stuff like that. So that's a Friday. Monday, I get a call from the Virginia basketball office. Coach Holland would like to see you. So I went down to the basketball office and talked to Coach Holland. And he says, yeah, I think this is going to work out. You know, here's what it's all about. And I walked out of the office and there was a pickup game going on in University Hall. And Wally was playing the game. And he looked up and said, hey, how did it go? So I became a basketball manager. Yeah, Wally didn't have to give you one second thought the whole time. Right. Um, and, you know, that led to just three amazing years. And then I became a student assistant in the sports information office. Because as a basketball manager, what I could not do was write for a student newspaper because, you know, I had inside information. Right. Um, and somebody needed to filter that. And so I wrote game program features and things like that um, for the sports information director, a guy named Todd Turner. And um, and it, it, so a, a fun story, let me, let me back up a little bit. I'll tell you a funny story. So my first year, we played Virginia Tech. Uh, double overtime game. 
you know, I'm not a manager yet. And I went uh, with some of my Kappa Sig pledges and it was going to be hell night after the game. And I <sighs> borrowed a rubber chicken from a gal that I knew in the dorm to wave at the Virginia Tech people. And uh, I'd had a little bit to drink. And at the end of the game, when I'll never forget, Bobby Stokes is out there dribbling the ball, and we're going to win. And I just, I, I just lost my mind. And Don DeVoe, the tech coach, was walking up near midcourt, and I just, I took that rubber chicken and threw it at Don DeVoe, and it went right in front of his nose and landed at midcourt, and the entire arena exploded. And miss, I looked over, miss it. Yeah. I looked over, and the ushers had seen me, and I got out of there so fast it wasn't funny. Well, as it turns out, one of the referees took that rubber chicken and the girl was furious with me because when she went to get the rubber chicken, the referee wouldn't get, give it back. He said, no. He said, that thing landed here. It's mine. Well, that referee was John Moreau. Mm. John Moreau, who taught at the collegiate schools for years and years and years. So the next year, I tell the senior manager that story. And um, the first game, we have Moreau. He walks straight up to me on the bench and says, St. Chris, you're the guy that threw that rubber chicken last year. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tee you up first chance I get. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm like, how, on, what, how does he even know who I am? You know, what? And I look over and Phil Beeson, the senior manager, is chuckling. He had told Moreau the story. <laughs> so the fun thing was that every game that Moreau had, the three years that I managed, he'd walk out and look at, point at me, and he would just say, St. Chris, I'm going to get you tonight. And he would tell the other referees, you know, keep an eye on this guy. He's trouble. And, and we've been friends ever since. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. He's a wonderful guy and was a fantastic referee. Yeah, I, I'm try, I was trying to think, how was he going to uh, tee up the, the manager? <laughs> well, it almost happened once. Really? Yeah, it wasn't John. It was a guy named Paul Hausman. And I would sit at the end of the bench. And, you know, in timeout, because, you know, water and towels and the players or whatever. I was sitting at the end of the bench. And it was my junior year. So it was the second year I managed. And Lee Raker um, had come in as a freshman, first yearman. And we were playing Clemson, and the guy had a guy named Colin Abraham, who also played tight end on their football team. Mm. And Lee set up to take a charge directly in front of me. And Colin Abraham ran over him like a freight train. No call. And I just screamed, offense, at the top of my lungs. And, I, and it was a dead ball situation. And I looked over, and Paul Hausman is putting his whistle in his mouth, and he's getting ready to bring his hands together for a T, for a technical foul. And he realizes, you know, it's like, who is this guy in a coat and tie sitting at the end of the bench? And he looks at Coach Holland and says, who the hell is that guy? And Holland says, oh, that's just one of my managers. And Hausman says, tell him to shut the hell up. <laughs> that's when I moved from the bench to the scores table and started keeping the book. Because you can't do that at the scores table. Uh, yeah, you don't want the manager to cause a one. I guess it would have been. It one, would have been my last act as a Virginia basketball manager. I'm sure you don't. You don't get a technical foul as a manager. That just. I I can't think of any uh, manager that's ever had a technical foul. I'm sure it's happened, but it's happened. 
but it's not common. No. You're supposed to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I mean, I think the players are supposed to, like, not get te- teed up, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, it's good times. Uh, some of your favorite players from your time at Virginia? Oh, golly molly. Well, my three classmates. Um, and there's a fun story about that. You talked about grade point average. So, um, my first year that I managed, it's Christmas. And Beeson, the senior manager, is going home. And I'm in town with the team because we're getting ready to play in a Christmas tournament. I can't remember who or where it was going to be. It might have been the Times Dispatch tournament, actually. It might have mm-hmm. been the first one of those. And um, so I'm in the fraternity house, and the phone rings. And uh, it's the basketball secretary, and she says, Coach Holland wants to see you before practice. And I said, okay, fine. And, you know, because I've got to go set the stuff up. So I figure – you know, where does he want things, you know, da 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 And I, I go into Coach Holland's office. And if you're anybody who ever saw the movie Animal House, if you remember the scene when they go into Dean Wormer's office and the expression on his face and how angry he is, well, anybody that ever remembers Terry Holland, when he got mad, it wasn't a pretty sight. And I walk into his office, and he looks at me and says, sit down. I said, yes, sir. He said, and he pulls, it was just like the scene in Animal House. He says, I've got your grades here. And I said, yes. And I knew I'd been goofing off some. He says, I can't believe we're going to have this conversation. He said, you're from a good family. You went to St. Christopher's, and you had a 3-4 last year. Do you know what you got last semester? And I said, no, sir, I don't. He says, I can't believe we're having this. He said that like three times. He says, you got a one six. And I went, and he goes, what the hell happened? I said, well, coach. I said, I moved into the fraternity house. I started dating this girl from Sweetbriar and I just kind of took my eye off the ball. And and again, he's just like, I can't believe I'm saying this. He says, you are a part of this basketball team. And as part of this basketball team, your grade point average counts. You've got the lowest grade point average in your class, and it's not even close. Wow. And at that moment, I said, and I've said a lot of stupid things, but I said one of the stupidest things I've ever said in my life. I said, Coach, I said... Steve Castellan's in engineering, Bobby Stokes is in pre-med, and Otis Fulton is a genius. And he looked at me and said, yeah, and I've recruited those guys. I can get another one of you in 30 seconds. We will never have this conversation again. He was not wrong. No, no. And then the next day, I mean, this could never happen now because of, you know, privacy things and stuff like that. But back then, you know, he got my grades. I was part of his team. Mm. Um, The next day, my father calls. He says, I got your grades. And I said, Dad, you don't have anything to worry about because Coach Holland got them before you did. And he chewed my ass out so bad yesterday. He said, look, you'll have your you'll have your basketball tickets. You'll have your ACC tournament tickets. Don't worry about it. And I never came close to screwing up again. Yeah, you just needed him to uh, get your attention. He got my attention. Mm. He had a way of doing that. So uh, that's quite the uh, classmate trio you had. Yeah. There was another fellow named Tommy Hicks, who I was very close to in school, um, who transferred in from Tulane and was a fantastically talented player, but he was an, he, he played up-tempo. 
uh, at Tulane. And so it, it just, he was a great fit for the decals and the party life at Virginia, uh, not so much for the, for the style of play. Um, but we're all very, very close. And then, you know, in, in terms of favorite players and what they did on the floor, it's just really difficult um, because there were different skill sets. But those guys I'm very, very close to. And then there was another fellow named Jeff Klein who came in with Raker and Lamp um, and would have played a lot uh, if, if Virginia hadn't signed Jeff Lamp. Um, and Jeff was from uh, Akron, went to Walsh Jesuit High School. And um, we became, he was one of the smartest people I ever knew. We, came, we became very, very close. Um, and he passed away um, about a year and a half ago. It just broke my heart. I can I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lamp was probably our biggest recruit, but to that point in time. Well, to that point, I mean, Wally Walker. You know, Wally Walker was a big time recruit, um, but Lamp for Holland. Um, you know, because because Wally. Before Holland got there, Bill Gibson, his predecessor, had a, a real pipeline to Pennsylvania. Huh. Uh, Barry Parkhill, Wally Walker, Jim Hobgood, uh, Gus Gerard, who, who left Virginia early and played in the ABA and the NBA. All those guys. It's just amazing players from Pennsylvania. Huh. And, um, and then we got, when we got Lamp, um, yeah, that was a, that was a big time. And, you know, Jeff Lamp's jersey's hanging in the rafters. Sure. Um, he scored 2,000 points. The interesting thing about Lamp was, and I think it was John Feinstein nicknamed him the Barracuda because I, I can't remember the exact statistic, and I'm embarrassed because I worked in sports information. I should. Um, was he either won or tied like 27 games in the last minute? Wow. And I can remember – um, when Ralph was playing, going to a game in College Park without a three-point line, and we were down six in the final minute and won in regulation. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, and so, um, you know, wonderful, wonderful three years as a manager. Um, we didn't we didn't go to the NCAA tournament. Uh, we went to the NIT a couple of times, but. Um, you, know. you guys had a lot of talent to not go to the NCAA. We had a lot of talent. Um, injuries in 77 hurt us. Um, 78, you know, we had um, Lamp and Raker. And, and, and again, Otis Fulton got hurt, and who was, the, you know, the center. And Otis was a talented dude. Um, we, we just injuries, injuries, injuries. Um, not horrible ones, but nagging ones, and we didn't have enough depth to overcome that stuff. Um, but, you know, we we won, I think, 17, 18, 19 games, something like that. Yeah. Uh, Even back then, you you had to be around 20 or more, typically, to get to yeah. the big tournament. Yeah. And, you know, my goodness, this, you know, North Carolina was loaded, Maryland was loaded. Um Duke was starting to get that way. Yeah. You know, Clemson had, um, had you know, it's interesting, there was a Bill, Bill Foster at Clemson and a Bill Foster at Duke. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, goodness gracious, saw some saw some really good players up close. It's really it's amazing, right? To yeah. Think about ninety nine point nine percent of humanity don't. They, your peers didn't have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, some of the. Yeah, I, I, the I Wally Walker interview led to so many cool things for you. Yeah, well, and the other interesting thing that happened there too was that, um, you know, that I Todd Turner asked me to write articles for him in Sports Information, uh, which led to, you know, I'd been out of school a couple of years, and Doug Elgin had replaced Todd Turner as the Sports Information Director, and I, I literally went by to see Coach Holland one day. I was thinking about going to Ohio University to get a master's degree in sports administration. And Coach Holland was in a meeting with this guy, Doug Elgin. So I waited, the door opens, and Holland introduces me to Doug Elgin. Doug Elgin says, oh, you're the guy that worked for Todd Turner. Hmm. I said, yeah. He says, I've read some of your stuff. He says, do you know anybody that would want to be a graduate assistant for me? And I said, well, I'm thinking about going to Ohio University. He said, if you do this for me, you won't have to go to Ohio University. Mm-hmm. I got my master's at Ohio University. If you work for me as my grad assistant, you won't need to do it. Mm-hmm. Ten minutes later, I was bang, done. And you enjoyed that. You did that for a year or two? did that for a year. It was Ralph's third year. Uh, we had, um, that was, the assistants were Laranega, uh, Craig Littlepage. Laranega is still at Miami, still one of the final four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He took George Mason to the final. Yeah, the, the dude knows what he's doing, and I, I, I did say in January, or February, I thought Miami's the best team in the league. Mm. Uh, they, they were, they were really good this year. But what happened with that was, you know, I was Doug's grad assistant, and I can remember, it's a, it's a one year thing, and then you got to find a real job. So right. here I am trying to figure out what am I going to do, and I interviewed at Campbell University, and I interviewed at. Uh, at Duke for their number three job. And um, Tom Mickle, the late Tom Mickle, who actually was the guy that invented the whole bowl championship thing. Mm. Yeah, he came up with that. Um, Mickle and Doug were best friends. And so it's like, you know, I've gone out and partied with Mickle several times, great guy, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'll do this. And Mickle calls me up one day and says, I don't know how to tell you this. He says, but I, I... I'm not going to hire you for this job because you'd be doing, you know, the tier C school sports. And I think you'd be bored. And I think you're ready to be an SID somewhere. And I'm like, Mick, I'm like 24 years old. Where is that going to happen? You're young. You know, how's that going to happen? And a week later, VCU calls. And VCU back then, we're starting to build a a nice basketball program. VCU is always, and that's the thing. I'd grown up on Franklin Street. So they were good in the 70s. They were good from day one. Wow. They were good from the, the early 70s. Yeah, they had a couple of guys. Jesse Dark, who played at Maggie Walker, was just unbelievable. They had a guy named Bernard Harris. His nickname was Supernard. I mean, VCU has been good from the get-go. It's It's been amazing. How do you explain them being good in the 70s? Um, well, Chuck No. Mm. Chuck No coached them for a while. And Chuck No is the guy that invented the Four Corners. <laughs> I hate the four quarters growing up. Oh, I know, it's but it's interesting. Unlo- it's, when it's he was a great strategy. And, and the fun thing about Chuck was, you know, he had gone to Virginia Tech, he'd gone to UVA, and then he coached at Virginia Tech, and he invented this thing called the mongoose. And Dean Smith co-opted later and made it the uh, four quarters. Yeah, and 
Chuck actually was a neighbor in the fan district. I uh, used to see him in Stewart Circle Pharmacy all the time. But for me, growing up on Franklin Street and then becoming the first full-time, the first full-time, they had a part-time guy. You, you grew up right there. I grew up three blocks from my office, yeah. which was on Franklin Street. And when I went there, we had this guy, J.D. Barnett, um, who was... He was he was rabid. He was and he, JD's still around, but I'd, I'd tell him to his face, JD, you were you were the craziest guy I ever worked with. Hot tempered is hot tempered. How I knew but him. but he never he never used profanity with the officials. He would say he would say that's a horse crap call, but he would never use it in a personal way. So he very rarely got technicals, huh. even though he argued like a maniac. Hmm. Um, but it's a, we, great, it's a great approach. Yeah actually yeah and what's interesting so I, I went to VCU after we got Virginia lost to Alabama Birmingham Ralph's third year 82 on Alabama Birmingham's home court I remember it's that the last time an NCAA tournament game was played on a team's home floor because we got absolutely jobbed there was no two ways about it mm. and Jimmy Laranega did get a little hot-headed, and he Booker Turner from the Big Ten was officiating that game. Not that it's as etched in my brain or anything, because yours truly is thinking, okay, I'm going to the Final Four because if we win this game, we're playing Louisville, and we had absolutely destroyed Louisville. But we hit this banana peel in Birmingham, and late in the game, we're coming back, and Laranega gets up after a call and says one too many words, and Booker Turner tees him up. Mm. And so there we were. So fast forward, I go to VCU the next year. We have Calvin Duncan, Rolando Lamb, still the best backcourt combo I, I may have ever worked around. Best in VCU history, period. No story. question. No question. Uh, Mike Schlegel. Um, oh, golly. Michael Brown from Hopewell, and you know, and other role players, Stanley Davis from Charlottesville, um, but I think we played UAB six times in the two years I was there because we ended up playing them in the in the Sun Belt tournament. Mm -hmm. We were six and zero, and the VCU players always used to tell me, "CTB, that's why you came to VCU because we can beat UAB." <laughs> And, uh, you know, still, I'm, I'm still in touch with Calvin Duncan and Rolando Lamb to this day. They've both been on this podcast. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I, so, funny, really, really funny story about those two guys. You know, they're both deep men of faith now. Absolutely. Uh, they probably weren't as much then. But J.D. Barnett used to um, throw up before games. And, of course, the players weren't supposed to know it. And we were getting ready to play Alabama-Birmingham down there. And I would go and, you know, look at the clock. And when two minutes before the game or whatever, I would come and get the, say, J.D., okay, it's time to go back out. Because they only had one manager. Mm. And so having been a manager of Virginia, I'd do some of that stuff just to help out. Right. And uh, so I come in and I'm walking past the bathroom and – these poor guys didn't know it, but the, the urinals were right on the other side of where the coaches were talking to the team. So they could hear everything. 
and Calvin Orlando are imitating JD vomiting. <laughs> cow, cow, I'm JD. <laughs> and um, so they come walking around the corner, and because I. I've seen JD and the other coaches here then. Tubby Smith was an assistant and right. ended up. Yeah. And they come walking around the corner. And I love to tease them. And I say, guys, when you saw that JD knew what you had done, you were whiter than I have ever <laughs> been any moment in my life. And they came in and JD just said, sit down. And I mean, you know, UA, this is a huge game. UAB, Gene Bartow, the place is packed huge game and he just looked at them and said if I were you guys I'd go out there and I would play the greatest games that I ever play in my life okay go he didn't even give the team a pep talk he didn't go over any of the last minute stuff he basically pointed those two guys and basically your life's on the line and as I love to tell Calvin and Rolando to this day, I was there when you found Jesus because he <laughs> saved you. He saved you that night. And they did. They went out and played their fannies off. They were both fantastic players. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Loved, loved watching them. That was our buddy uh, Daisy. Your, your Daisy, dog. my dog, is... is he, 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 Daisy she, just, she just wants to be on the mic. Yeah. She's, she's, a, she's a ball hog. Come, come over here, Daisy. All right. So... Um, so you were there a pretty cool time at VCU, too. Yeah, I did that for two years. Um, and I had, you know, I'd started working as a volunteer at St. Christopher's. And um, one day I was sitting in my office. And I, I was also doing some of the marketing. And uh, we had a really good product. And what I said to the people at VCU was, they were like trying to sell family entertainment basketball. I'm like... That's what Richmond does, okay? They're sitting there in the West End. People can walk to the games. We have got – we win, right? right? We are going to sell winning. We're going to sell top caliber basketball here. That's what we're going to do. And so I had some money to spend on season ticket ads. And I had a trade with Channel 12 and with with, uh, 35. And so I said, I got a little money. I'll call Channel 6 and Channel 8. So I called Channel 6 send somebody I called channel 8 and this gal shows up and she's brunette she's got pretty brown eyes and no wedding band on and thinking and she's really smart and so we start talking we talk for a while and after a while she says VCU she says you know I'm new in town but and she's she's from South Carolina she's going to University of South Carolina she says Y'all have a really good football team, don't you? And I said, um, we don't play football at VCU. Never have. And that's how I met my wife. <laughs> so good uh, thing you had extra money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, what happened was, you know, it was VCU was fun. It was kind of like the Wild Wild West, though. Uh, JD was was irascible. Uh, he and the athletic director didn't get along. The president was kind of getting in the middle of it. And, um, again, all nice people, but it was just kind of chaotic. And um, St. Christopher's calls me one day and says, hey, you know, w- would you like to talk to us about being the alumni director? And I'm thinking, if I stick with college athletics, 
and I get married, you know, you have to move all the time. All the time. And so, uh, so that's kind of how it ended. But um, it's good. It's a good run. It was a wonderful run. And as I said, you know, and 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 goodness gracious, you know, I'm I'm sitting there about a week or two ago, or maybe it was last month. I get this text from uh, Lane Odom. It says uh, your second favorite school is about to get a pretty good basketball coach. <laughs> wow! And um, so, how you know? It, it's just college basketball is such a small world. I mean, here's here's Ryan Odom, who grew up as a UVA ball boy, whose father Dave Odom. Now, I'll I'll say this: of all the coaches other than Holland that I've ever been around and worked with, um, there's three that really stand out. There was Dave Odom. There's Tubby Smith. And Craig Littlepage, mm. uh, just fantastic human beings. And Dave had a great run at Wake Forest. Yeah, Dave should have been the basketball coach at Virginia, but that's another. I was young when when that didn't happen, and I couldn't believe he didn't become the coach. Couldn't yeah. believe it. Well, he and Terry left for Terry left, and and Dave was not given the opportunity. And that's nothing against my very good friend, Jeff Jones, who ended up with the job, nothing at all. And Jeff did a great job, but Dave was ready. Um, And he proved it. He proved it, but he, he literally did not, he did not want to leave. Um, And when he was offered the Wake Forest job, he knew he had to take it. And uh, again, he loved Wake Forest, but he was, he was, he was very emotional. Daisy, go lie down. Daisy is very interested in what we're doing here. Yes, yes, yeah. she's very social. All right, so uh, being alumni director of St. Christopher's, did you enjoy that gig? Yeah, it, it, it was almost like you weren't working. Um, you did. You worked very, very long hours. But, you know, goodness gracious, you go to a school for, you know, 13 years, and then you, you get to... You get to work there as the alumni director for five years. And we started the reunion giving program. Mm. Um, Dolores Smith taught me so much about fund. She's I've been around a lot of fundraisers in my life, uh, but I learned from one of the best. And I got very interested intellectually in estate planning and plan giving, things like that, uh, which I still kind of, you know, have my hands into this day. But... Um, you know, goodness gracious, just just being around you guys and um, just a lot just, of your teachers were still there, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of my teachers were still there, and then there were guys like Tony Simondera that 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 what a came line. that came and became lifers. Uh, He's still coaching the baseball team. Yeah, um, you know, and that's that's what the place is all about. And uh, you know, I lost two of my teachers. Uh, Two of my favorite teachers when I worked there, and that was hard. Dave Boney and George Squires. Yeah, um, you know Dave Boney, who had the courage to teach Black history at St. Christopher's School in the early 1970s. You know, Dave Boney was the most entertaining teacher I'd ever been around. Yeah, yeah, but 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 there was that courageous side of him. He was willing to speak truth. He was a historian. He yeah. believed in truth telling yeah. and fact telling. Yeah. yeah. Which is what and history that, is know, about. But, but that was the other thing about Dave was, you know, the relationship he had with the, uh, you know, the Baltimore Bullets, uh, who became the Washington Wizards. And, you know. Oh, and the Washington Bullets for a, a period, too. Yeah. 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 I, and, he took me and a couple other players up there to 
I got to meet Manute Bowl because of Dave Bones. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have to do that for us. They just, you know, they they were they were. And what was interesting, Paul, about all that was when you sat at the faculty table in the lunchroom, and when you're a student, you're looking over there and you're thinking. Those guys are talking about us, and they're they're out to get so and so, and what they're doing is they're sitting in there and they're going, they're talking about the students. But what they're saying is, so and so lost his grandmother. So and so's, you know, mm. and it's about again looking for opportunities to have those moments like Beckwith had with me, and right. you know Walter Lindsay, who was the first black student to graduate, graduated in my class. Um, and Walter passed away. Yeah, fairly recently. Yeah. yeah, and um, you know, Walter told last time I saw him, we had lunch with Dick Kemper, Rusty Stark, another classmate, and and we really got Walter talking. Um, he was a big guy, quiet guy, friendly guy. And he was his own person, and that's why people respected him. Um, but he was he told us that one day I was walking across that campus. And I was thinking to myself, you know, here I am on Mars. I could have gone to Armstrong to play football. And da, 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 da. And he said, I was just feeling down. And all of a sudden there was this tap. And I looked down and there was Jack Bowling. And Jack Bowling just looked at me and said, you belong here. How did he know? Yeah. How on earth did he know? Because Jack Bowling, I don't know him as well as you know him, but he always struck me as a guy that was deeply considerate and and, and very empathetic to yeah. others. And I th- I think he he may have picked up on it somehow. Who knows? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and then that that was fantastic. I loved it. Um, but I I always told George McVeigh, I said, "There's one place I'll leave you for on short notice, and that's the University of Virginia." And I was minding my own business. I had to be because I had just torn my ACL playing a pickup basketball game. And I'm literally sitting there waiting to have surgery the next week. And uh, the phone rings. And it's uh, Joe Mark, who ran what is now the Virginia Athletics Foundation. It was the Virginia Student Aid Foundation then. He said, hey, I don't know if you heard about this. And, and I was doing some volunteer work for them. They had a Richmond board, and I was actually the incoming president. I don't know if you heard about this yet, but uh, Gordon Burris is going to the University of Maryland to run the Terrapin Club, and Gordon had been the assistant for the for the VSAF. He said, uh, "I said, what on earth is he going to the university? What has he lost his mind?" He said, "No, they gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. It's a really good move, and uh, we want to talk to you." I was like, "What?" He said, "Yeah, we want to talk to you." So, long story short, yeah, I got hired. How long did you do that? Did that for about three years. And again, it was really interesting because I got to go back. Uh, Basically, I ended up putting the fundraising campaign to bed uh, to build the McHugh Center, Mm. which was the building that went up under Terry Holland's, the football support facility that went up under Terry Holland's nose. Um, You know, the basketball was up. You could look out the basketball office window and see the football building going up. Mm. And, uh, and it, Terry and George Welsh got along great. Don't get me wrong. But, um, but I was sitting in my office one day, 
the, the next spring and Holland came in and shut the door. And he said, this isn't gonna really happen, is it? I said, what do you mean? He says, is this building really gonna happen? I said, oh yeah. I said, Joe Geek, who was the athletic trainer um, and a legend had gotten a bunch of wealthy physicians who were friends of UVA's team physician, Frank McHugh. We had guys that had never been on grounds. Didn't know, you know, didn't know anything about the University of Virginia except they were friends of Frank McHugh's that just wrote us checks for $100,000. You know, Dr. Andrews, the really famous surgeon that's done all this stuff. He was he was part of that group. So I said, yeah, we're putting this thing to bed. And I, I looked at him. I said, do you think that, you know, I said, I managed for you. I'm a basketball guy. Do you think I enjoy this football building going up under your nose? Mm. I said, we, you know, we should have gotten this thing when, when you had Ralph. Anyway, um, four days later, he resigned. But he came to me because he knew that I would tell him the yeah. truth. Um, and so Terry left. He announced his resignation uh, to go back to Davidson. He didn't want to leave, but he felt he didn't have the support. And then, um, you know, Grant Hill was, Grant Hill wanted to come to the University of Virginia, but he wasn't going to come until we named a coach. And um, mm. they didn't do that. Odom went to Wake Forest. Grant Hill went to Duke. They hired Jeff late. If they'd hired Jeff or somebody early, if you put Grant Hill in with Corey Alexander, Junior Burrow, you know, and, well, the, and, well, and the teams that made the, you know, that most of those guys made the Elite Eight one year. Yeah. So there's, they would have been a, world beaters. Yeah. There's a, there's some inside dope for you. Yeah, and, and the irony for UVA sports fans, basketball's always been king. I don't, I mean, we've had, we were number one in the country back in 1990 in football, but right. that was the closest we came to, to being a real program. Yeah. UVA's kind of been middling. Yeah. Welsh had some good years, don't get me wrong. Oh, but listen, George, you know, we need, to, we need to talk about George Welsh. We need to talk about what an unbelievably brilliant, coach in person he was um and you know skipping over to football i was so lucky to be working there uh there was a guy on that team the, the sean moore team ron carey those guys are my year yeah yeah well i when i was working at st christopher's right before i left i helped recruit ron carey i sent him a notebook and things like that and i called his house one night and i got his father on the phone and we ended up talking for half an hour. This is right after he committed to Virginia. And I said, well, I hope I meet you sometime. And then I'm sitting in my office one day after I've gone to work at UVA and I see the guy walking down the hall. And I said, Ron Carey, Tom Baker, he's kind of, I said, I'm the guy that was working at St. Christopher's. And he said, what are you doing? I said, they hired me. And he walked in my office and we've been friends ever since. Mm. I mean, good friends. Yeah, because Ron's still in Richmond, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he runs Tilt productions he is he's absolutely he's run an unbelievable business he's had an amazing business career but you know i'm so lucky to be friends with ron you know sean moore herman moore i mean tony covington jason wallace paul collins and the wonderful thing about those guys is they were a great football team oh they're the best team we ever had they have they were amazing students hmm. That it, it's, 
that's the thing that that it's absolutely boggled my mind is now as joe geek would say don't get me wrong we had some we had you know some animals some gathers would chew you up and spit you out i mean chris slade and ray roberts you didn't want to mess with those guys but they were still great people mm-hmm. um and then burns the guy that was a what a astro scientist or something i can't even i can't remember what the guy was doing um so it and george i, I remember the first time i i um i had to drive him to i think it was winston salem for a you know a dog and pony show and i was terrified because i'm like what on earth is gonna you know i'm gonna get in this what do i even begin to talk about this guy doesn't talk to anybody George and I got in the car. Next thing I knew, we were in Winston-Salem because we talked about history. We talked about everything under the sun except practically football. He was one of the most fascinating, talkative guys that I ever met. And, but, you know, when it was football season, he was focused on football. After football season, he talked to you all day. Yeah, I guess he compartmentalized it at a very high level. Well, all those coaches do that. I think they have to. Yeah. 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 And um, so that's what I learned. I learned that early on. Um, you you just avoid your coaches during the season, and if they need you, be there as quick as you can. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, man. You were there while I was there as a student. Yeah. And every name you just rattle off, I remember those guys on the field, and I had opportunities to bump into them off the field too. Yeah. Uh, amazing athletes giant human beings but it sounds like they were they were very well rounded which is as an alum that's what you want yeah out of your athletes well I'm like Terry Kirby I mean I had to mention him um, you know the, but but it's interesting I mean Ron and I just have been and, and he's the one that's kind of you know gotten me I mean the other guys have known me but you know we communicate all the time now on Facebook and stuff like that yeah and, um, and of course, Sean Moore ended up working at St. Christopher's. He did. Well. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, he's out in Arizona now. I think. No, he's he's back working for the athletic department. He's raising money for football. Oh, he's in Charlottesville. Yeah. Oh wow. So let's give him a shout out. He just got named to the you know Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Oh, did he? Yeah. Good for him. Well deserved. There, there's now they, they, clearly um, the greatest quarterback in Virginia history, and that one's not even close either. Yeah. With all respect to. We could name a handful of other guys. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean that year was exciting. That that oh, number one in the country, I couldn't believe it was happening. Yeah, could so, not believe it. So, funny story about that, real quick. So, Bruce Hornsby, uh, uh, Williamsburg native, Williamsburg native, huge basketball with travel fan. Yeah, and um, when Jeff Jones was coaching, of course, Jeff and I are friends because he'd been a player when I was a manager. You know, I'd go over to JJ's house after the game, and Hornsby be there. We'd hang out, just very normal guy. And um, Hornsby was sitting in the suite. We had him in a suite when we lost to Georgia Tech. Mm, I was there. Yeah, and then I didn't see him for twenty-five years. 2015, my wife and I were coming back from Bermuda. I was walking through the Atlanta airport, and I said, must be a slow day. I don't see anybody. She says, well, why do we get to the gate? And I go walking around the gate, and there's Bruce Hornsby on his cell phone. And I see him, and she says, what are you doing? I'm going to go see how to Bruce. Well, she's forgotten that I'd ever met him. She thinks I've lost my mind. Well, Bruce sees me, and he's on his phone. He goes, like, 
I recognize you type thing. Right. So this is a true story. Hornsby gets off the phone and I reach my hand out and I and he goes, Tom. <laughs> How on earth do you, you're the UVA guy? I said, Yeah. How do you remember me? He says, Oh, I was mad at you for the longest time. I said, What do you mean, man? We used to hang out at Jeff's house and drink Heineken's and stuff and all that. He says, I know. He says, But when Virginia lost to Georgia Tech in that game, you told me I was bad luck and I couldn't come back. <laughs> I'm like, Bruce, I was kidding. <laughs> He says, I know, but I, I, said, I, I, was, I was so mad about the game, it just kind of struck me the wrong way. I said, well, at least it got you to you know, remember who I am. <laughs> and then he is uh, he stayed in touch with Jeff Jones because Jeff's an old dominion. So we ended up having this conversation. And then fast forward, we had a reception uh, for some basketball guys. Every year they have all the basketball alumni back. And uh, Hornsby's there. And I walk in and he goes, Tom. I said, are we good? He says, yeah, we're cool now. We're cool. We're fine. And we just had a great time. He's a, he's a tall guy, right? He's fairly yeah. tall. Well, his son played in the NBA. Really? His son played for LSU. Huh. And then um, I don't think he lasted long in the NBA. But, yeah, his son made a roster. Wow. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I mean, Bruce could play. I mean, you know, we played pickup games yeah, a few yeah. times back in the day. So uh, that's that's uh, he, he's a he's a super nice guy. Yeah, I've, I've, his reputation has been all positive yeah. as far as I know. Yeah. All right, let's talk about UVA basketball today. Okay. What are your thoughts about uh, the team this past season and our prospects going forward? Uh, if, man, you know, this season was just it it just it it tore my heart out because when I I went to a practice in October. Um, and if you're a basketball alum, you call the office and say, I'd like to come to practice, and they put you on a list, and it's fun. It's really fun to watch Tony Bennett in a practice. Attention to detail, off the charts. Mm -hmm. um, but what really, really stood out at me, to me was the shooting um, and the trout kid um, from Nebraska, you know, McNeely is a special shooter. Reminds me a lot of Jeff Lamp, mm. uh, who we talked about earlier. But just the the overall team shooting. You know, you had Franklin, you had you had guys, and, and but I, I walked out of there thinking, man, I've never seen shooting like this. And then you know we eviscerate Baylor. Yeah, um, early I, I, in the season, you know, hit ten or eleven threes and and go on that run and just you know run them out of the gym. Um, and then. You know, it just, it, it's like this, it's like February. It gets cold, so the shooting gets cold or something. Um, you know, and it was just a, it, it was just a tough, tough run down the stretch. The, the offense just lost it. And I think, I think Kihei started trying to do too much again. Um, and I don't, I, the guy gave it everything he had. Um, There's so much more good than bad. With yeah, K yeah, but years. but when you start pressing and and I think Tony in in a, in, a, in a, you know it's just hard for him to not make a change, but just say, look, you know, you got to put the reins on him, right? Because so many good things can happen. But you know, if if I look back at it, and again, this is just an objective observation. Um. I think Vanderplass, I, 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 I just don't know if that was a good 
personnel move. And that is not being critical of Tony or anybody. But what I saw the day I saw Trout in practice was so potentially spectacular offensively that I, I you know, and then of course the kid never plays a game and, and goes home to Creighton. Um, I think we're going to regret that. Yeah. Uh, but again, you look at what Tony's done and the kind of person. He promised that a he national is. championship. I mean, he, he's. Yeah. A basketball well, god when, forever. When, when, when Frank Burkhead, the, the manager that I replaced, Frank died very suddenly of a heart attack uh, about five years ago. And every game, before every game that year, Laurel Bennett would call Jackie and say, do you want to ride with me to the game? Mm. They started a sunrise Easter service in Frank's memory. Um, but, you know, jumping back to just kind of the bigger picture, um, you know, you got to wonder how much longer, if you're Tony Bennett and you answer to a higher calling, and you get yourself to a point where you're not really having the, the ability to develop young men and their skills. How, how do you go do mission work or something at some point? Yeah. It's just, it's kind of in my head, you know. And then the other utterly fascinating thing to me, um, turning away from Virginia to VCU, is, you know, Ryan Odom. Oh, I'm, I'm ecstatic for VCU. And my goodness gracious, um, you know, if, if, he, if he can get. Efton Reed to commit and all of a sudden he's got two seven footers on a VCU roster um, it's never happened before no no uh, and so but but you know the, the way he's been able to come in there and embrace the culture and the history you know there's an article in the paper about that today um, is a beautiful thing and I think and, and, and jumping back to Tony Tony is so appreciative, honestly appreciative of, you know, I remember saying to him one time, he, you know, um, oh, I was just a water boy. And he said, you were part of the team. Yeah, because you were. Yeah, and um, and I know my players feel that way about me. Um, they, they treated you like a peer. Yeah. Yeah, as they should. You know, although they... That's the thing, you know, we get on these text threads now and it's just verbal annihilation constantly, <laughs> you know. And that's when you know you're part of the team. Right. You know. And yeah, I, if those texts don't come, you're yeah, not part yeah. of the team. Jeff Jones didn't speak to me for about two weeks when I hit him with the nickname <laughs> Opie his first year. He was not happy. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I hope Tony stays uh, as long as Coach K stayed at Duke or uh, Dean Smith stayed at UNC. But... I, my guess is he's not going to do that. Um, but I, I don't. What I don't see him doing is going and taking another college job. Right. Well, you have more insight on that. I just, I, I just don't sense that. That's again. He, he's got a higher calling. You know. Well, I think he's a better human being than he is a basketball coach, and that's uh, that's that's very high praise yeah. for him as a human being. And I, I think this story's right, and you can, you probably have better understanding of the story after we won the national championship. Virginia offered him a, a lot more money. And he said, I, I don't want it. I'm, I make enough money 
yeah. take, take that money and give it to my staff. Yeah, well, that, and I think they did give him, or maybe he got a bonus or something, and he gave it to the university. Yeah. And I know he did that because there were some people that, I won't say who, that are very much Virginia basketball insiders, very much Virginia athletic insiders, that said, why on earth didn't you take that and just put it in your program? Mm-hmm. And he's, and it, that's what he said. It, it's, it's, and I, so I know that this is true. And he said, "No, I don't. I don't. We don't need the money in the program. We're mm. fine. We got what we need." And I think he's right because I mean, he's he's had competitive teams for yeah, basically his whole time there. Yeah, yeah. All right. I have an oddball question that I asked towards the end. Tom, it's meant to be a little more enlightening about who you are as a person uh, these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So imagine you're a talk show host. You only get one show though. You get about an hour. You get to pick the guests. Your guests can be alive or dead. They can be famous or not famous. They can be family members, friends, people you don't know, but you've read about and you're fascinated by. Your show can be thought-provoking. It can be entertaining. It can be fun, funny, whatever you want it to be. And I'm talking a lot because I'm giving you a chance to think about this. Male guest, female guest, musical act, and if you're into stand-up comedy, a comedian. Male guest, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, he's my answer too. Hmm. It's a great answer. Female guest, Katie Couric, because I think she's misunderstood. She's very entertaining. I'd make her tell some stories about the good old days. And she's she's a very bright person. Yeah, yeah. she's hilarious. Um, third one, musical act, my brother. Oh, that's right. That's right. My brother's one of the best acoustic guitar players in the world. And um, and he's still doing it too, right? Yeah. And he's also a brilliant guy and a very, very, very interesting human being. He's okay. so much smarter than I, you know. Is he in Virginia or is he? He's lived, he's been an expatriate for 40 plus years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fascinating guy. And then comedy act, Fred Sanford. <laughs> One of my favorite shows growing up. Sanders. But if it's if it's if it's if it's stand up, um, and of course he did. Well, Red some Fox stand-up. did some stand. Yeah, he right? did some yeah. stand. The other one right there, probably Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Eddie Murphy skits just kill me. Eddie Murphy could have been funny and famous consistently every year yeah. after Saturday Night Live, or including Saturday Night Live, yeah. but he just chose to step away. Well, here's a real quick fact about Red Fox that you know, Red Fox worked as a dishwasher on a train and I can't remember the name of the train but it was the one that went between New York and Detroit mm. and on that train he worked with Malcolm X <laughs> they became two of the most famous and people I, and I, I think that I think I remember that from the autobiography of Malcolm X because Malcolm X just said this guy was absolutely the funniest person I ever saw oh it, that yeah. he couldn't help but yeah. be funny yeah if you could make Malcolm X laugh, you were doing something. You know, he was a pretty serious-minded person. He, I, his reputation was certainly serious all the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, we'll end with, uh, tell me about your, your wife and your kids. Uh, well, my wife does have one of those T-shirts that says VCU still undefeated in football. <laughs> As she should. Yeah. Uh, see, we got married in 1985. She's absolutely wonderful. She loves it down here. I'm the third generation of my family to retire down here, mm-hmm. and um, she's she's beautiful, she's smart, she's athletic, she's funny, 
Um, we're blessed with two children, our son Richard, who was born in 1990, so he's 33. Um, went to the University of South Carolina after going to St. Christopher's for 10 years. Um, funny, real quick funny story there. So he's playing, you know, they had Bulldog A and Bulldog B basketball. And uh, he didn't much like basketball because he didn't like dad telling him what to do. But uh, he was playing Bulldog basketball and Dick Kemper was helping out Kerry Malk. And Dick had coached me in JV and I'm sitting at this game and I'm watching this game and Richard's in the game and Richard makes a little mistake and I hear this bank and I jumped about three feet in the air because <laughs> Dick was yelled at my son the same way he yelled at me <laughs> 40 years before. It was, it was just visceral reaction. It was unbelievable. So anyway, uh, Richard had a wonderful experience at St. Christopher's. He's very close to his classmates, a wonderful class. And, and a lot of those guys, you know, their dads were guys that I knew. And it's just, it's, it was really special. Uh, he is uh, in Roanoke. He works for Apex Clean Energy. Uh, as an analyst, they're based in Charlottesville, but he lives with his girlfriend in Roanoke. She just got a residency in general surgery at Virginia Tech. Okay. Uh, Carillion. Um, and got his MBA at Emory. Uh, our daughter, Lissy. Um, has been married almost four years. She went to St. Christopher, St. Catharines. Richard played lacrosse and football. Um, Lissy was a, a track person, um, did the pole vault and the four by four, uh, was a team captain. They won the state and, uh, she went to UVA. So each parent got one kid at their alma mater, which was wonderful. And then of course I got Richard at St. Christopher. So Lissy's a third generation Wahoo. Richard's a fourth generation Gamecock. And uh, Lissy and her husband, Shay Ayurinde, are in Los Angeles. She has a master's in urban teaching and STEM. Mm. Uh, worked at the Anna Julia Cooper School in Richmond uh, for a while and really got her call to work with, you know, underserved children. Um, and she's good. She's a very good teacher. Um, Shay uh, went to Davidson, was a classmate of Steph Curry's. Okay. Uh, Shay played football down there. And um, he got his doctorate in electrical engineering at UVA. So he's not a dumb guy. Uh, one of those dumb Nigerian guys. We <laughs> tease him about it all the time. And uh, he, uh, he works for the U.S. Army Research Lab West. He designs computer chips. Okay. Um, and I think in another year or so, um, I think she owes the L.A. school district one more year that they'll probably come back this way. Interestingly, his best friend from Davidson's a guy named Clint Smith, who's written two books, well, three. First one, the National Black Poetry Award. The second book, How the Word is Passed, uh, hit number one on the New York Times bestseller nonfiction list. It's wow. about how slavery is interpreted, and it's beautifully written, as you might imagine. And he, um, he got his doctorate, I think, in history at Harvard. Mm. Um, so you just I love reading good history yeah. and uh, and then he's just written another poetry book mm. um, but anyway there he and his wife and kids are in Silver Spring Maryland and if Shay and Lissy were to come back if Shay stayed with the army and I think he will because um, they they want him badly um, their eastern facility is 10 minutes away from where so I can see 
Not so anyway, away. not too far away. Yeah, wonderful. So, I'm just we're we're beyond absolutely beyond blessed. So sounds like it. Been a good run, and I spend a lot of my time now working for the uh, Episcopal Diocese of Virginia. I'm on the board of their conference center called Shrinemont, and I'm on this thing called the Standing Committee, um, which is a um, council of twelve elected to three-year terms. Um, at the convention, and we're kind of the council of advice to the bishop. And then interestingly, I am on the, uh, as a member of the standing committee, I'm the appointed rep representative to um, a reparations task force. Uh, the diocese has committed some resources that are basically, it's not taking money from church pledges or anything like that. It's kind of unused real estate. Um, and it's not going to be a handout program. It's going to be a program where we really engage people and, you know, people get really, really worked up sometimes and get defensive about that. Well, I didn't do any of this or da 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 No, this is more about we know that, but it, we would agree that there are people that are still disadvantaged, and it's how do we engage those people and our brothers and sisters in Christ and improve relationships and repair things. Yeah, the, the so, word repair is great. Yeah, yeah. and interestingly, the, uh, the co-chair of that is a young man named Jabril Hassan. Uh, and Jabril was my sister's class at St. Christopher's hmm. and I remember Jabril when he worked for the Pine Needle at St. Christopher's calling me up to interview me about Walter Lindsay my classmate who was the first black graduate so, oh. um, he's now uh, getting ready to get out of seminary and what an amazing young man hmm. so anyway Really cool. Yep. Well, Tom, I'm going to uh, have you back on, hopefully, uh, to do the thing we talked about. Yeah. I threw it out as an idea. We'll see if we, I can pull it off, or, and you can help me pull it off. Uh, but it's been great talking to you. I appreciate you welcoming me here into your place. To the center of the universe. Well, we are at the center of the universe right now. <laughs> when we stop recording, maybe we're not at the center That's of the right. universe anymore. That's yeah. right. Well, it's been a pleasure. I can't tell you how much fun it's been. Thank you. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.